Well, over the next few weeks for the summer, or for at least part of the summer, we are going to study the book of Second Peter. So go ahead and turn to Second Peter. I'm sure you've done a lot of study in Second Peter throughout the years. Can you even find it? It's at the very end of your Bibles. And, and some people wonder, like, why, why do we got to go through books of the Bible? Can't you just kind of put some cool topics together so we can track along and it could be exciting? No. Let me tell you why. We, we want to go through books of the Bible because we want you to understand the Bible. We want you actually to go home and go, well, I just learned that in church. And I can now read through the Bible myself and understand it myself. And we just want to stick with, the, with what's here. We don't want to be making stuff up uh, from week to week. So this is, this is some really good stuff in here. So we're going to be in Second Peter, and you may be wondering, you missed a Peter. <laughs> what, what happened to First Peter? Well, First Peter, let me just kind of give you a heads up. First Peter is all about, um, he wrote the book so that Christians can endure suffering. But Second Peter is written so that Christians might be fruitful, fruitful in their knowledge of God. So just, just stick with me here. This is a little, little context here. Now check it out. There were, there were false teachers within the church. A lot of the New Testament is just filled with false teachers. There were false teachers during the church at this time who were unfruitful in their knowledge of God. Let me explain. They denied the return of Jesus Christ. They denied that Jesus is going to come back and denied also a judgment. And since they, they made this denial, it wasn't just their doctrine, but it also affected their lives. They could live any way they want. Because if Jesus is not coming back, and if he's not going to judge us, then we can just live it up. We can just do whatever we want to do. And they lived lives of sexual morality, and they lived lives filled with greed. And, and you've got to kind of wonder, how does that work? <laughs> if, if, like, if you see somebody who claims to be a Christian, who lives lives of sexual morality and greed, you want to say, excuse me, how does that work exactly? How do you do that? And... The answer for these false teachers is simply this. You just change what you believe. I mean, you've heard the concept that bad theology leads to bad actions, but it's also true that bad behavior can lead to bad theology. Because it's no fun living in sexual morality, and it's no fun going after greed if Jesus is going to come back. And judges, that's no fun. So let's just switch it. Let's change it. Let's get rid of judgment. Let's get rid of his return. Let's swap our theology around to fix our lifestyle rather than letting the theology in the Bible affect us in our lives. When you enjoy your sin, you're tempted to alter your theology. I don't know if you know this, but there are entire denominations, this is no joke, there are entire denominations changing their theology to make adjustments for practicing homosexuals in leadership. No joke. Entire denominations changing their theology to make that adjustment. And we, and we would go, well, that's terrible. How could they possibly do that? But get this. There is this temptation within all of us to we would say, never make our adjustment of our statement of faith, right? But there's this temptation to alter this theology in our hearts when we start to enjoy our sin. 
we're tempted to alter the theology in our hearts when we start to enjoy our sin. I mean, if, if we enjoy material things to the excess and we enjoy pursuing money, you know what that's going to make us do? It's going to make us take the black and white commands of God on money and turn them into gray matters. Do you get what I'm saying here? The Bible can be very clear on money, black and white, what we're supposed to do with it. But because we love money so much, we alter our theology and we say, well, those are just gray matters. And we do the same thing when we have this enjoyment in uh, just enjoying our lives. We want to be happy. And, and sometimes we want to be happy in our relationships just the way we want them. And we want to be happy so much that we turn the black and white commands uh, about marriage and the lasting nature of marriage and the purity of, being, of, of marriage. We kind of switch that around and turn it into gray matters. And we do the same thing with the, our time. We want to guard our time. We want to hoard our time. We want to use our time the way we want. And so we have that lens. We look at the Bible. And when the Bible talks about how we should use our time, it's black and white. We turn it into a gray matter. And you can just go along the lines on so many times that we have these certain heart conditions and we want to alter our theology rather than letting God's word alter us. And you know what happens? Unfruitful. You're not bearing fruit. And so Peter writes this letter because he wants the Christians to be fruitful. He wants you to be fruitful. And he's not just writing this letter haphazardly in, in, the, in, the, in the prime of his life. He's about to die. And we get that information a little later on. He's about to die. And before he dies, he said, before I die, I want you to know that I want you to be fruitful. He wants us to be fruitful. And, and sometimes you've got to ask, you, we throw the fruit word around a lot here in church. You go, excuse me, what does that even mean? What does it mean to be fruitful? Well, we're going to talk about that next week. But as a little heads up, Peter kind of gives like these eight things of what he means to be fruitful. He talks about things like faith and virtue and, and goodness and self-control and brotherly affection and love. He gives all these different aspects of fruit. And like I said, we're going to talk about the fruit next week. But, but this week, um, what it, kind of the summing up is that I want you to see is that you have the ability to bear fruit. You have the resources to bear fruit. You have the resources to live a Christian life. You think about the concept of resources. Like if you want to cook a meal, you go to the resource of the internet or a book to cook a meal. Or if you walk into a store, you see the abundance of resources to make your life happy. <laughs> but with regard to the Bible, what's taught here is that you have everything that you could possibly need to live a godly and Christian life. You have the resources. And let, let's just be honest. Living the Christian life is hard. Does anybody agree with that? It's hard. We have our own issues. We have our own struggles. And if you are here this morning and you say living the Christian life is impossible, I'm going to give you a high five because it is impossible. You cannot pull it off on your own. It is very, very difficult and challenging, and you cannot have your own resources to do it. However, God has equipped you with godly resources to live a holy and godly and fruitful life. And we're going to look at four of them today because we're going to look at just four verses and four pop up of these godly resources. So let's just look at these as we go through 2 Peter. And I just want to let you know, heads up, this is, this is hard going here. This is, not, this is not so easy to understand this because when you go through books of the Bible, you don't 
have the option of picking the text for the text picks you. <laughs> and so when the text picks you, you just got to tell the people what it says. And that's all I'm going to do. And I'm not going to rearrange it around. And, it's, and some of it's really hard to understand. So if, if you want to sleep, I don't recommend it. <laughs> Because this is, this is hard. You sleep, you're going to miss something. And you're going to go, what is he talking about? Okay, so pay attention. This is hard. If you need to take notes, whatever you need to do, this is going to be some hard stuff to understand. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's going to be hard. All right? But why would you want something easy? <laughs> do you want some meat or some milk? All right? Let's get us some meal. Let's have a meal today. All right, let's jump in. Verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you who have studied Second Peter before, maybe you, you know that it is debated by some scholars whether or not Peter actually wrote this book. And rather than getting to all the details, I want you to say, I want to just tell you, there are good reasons for us to believe that Peter indeed wrote this book. I mean, he's going to talk about the, the, the experience he had on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. He's going to talk about his soon and coming death. And, and in fact... He doesn't just say in this book, Simon Peter. He says, Simeon. Why does he use that name, Simeon? Well, it's, it's the Hebrew rendering of his birth name because Peter wrote this book. And it's the same Peter we read about in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You remember Peter, the one who was called by Jesus to be an, an apostle? And you can think about Peter like at the high point of his life. He's the one that proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah, Remember that Peter? And he's also the Peter at a low point in his life, denied Jesus three times during his, his trial. And Peter is also a bold and aggressive proclaimer of the gospel and leader of the early church. That's the Peter who is writing this letter as an apostle who is authorized, but also as a humble and grateful and honored servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the Peter we're talking about. Keep going in verse 1. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter is writing, this is his second, le- his second letter, to a, a cluster of scattered churches probably in the area of Asia Minor. And it's probable that these believers are made up of predominantly Gentiles because Peter says that they have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. That means that the faith of the Gentiles is just as legit as the faith of the Jews. Now, he could be talking about, you know, hey, there's a mixture of Jews and Gentiles in this church and that the faith of Christians has an equal standing no matter who you are. And he could be talking about that as well. But either way, the point is the faith of these Christians he's writing to is equal standing with other believers, even the same equal standing of the Apostle Peter. Now, I want you to get this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are, I don't know if you are, but if you're a believer in Christ, no one in here is greater than you in faith. Not pastors, not elders, not deacons. No one has been a believer for uh, 50 years more than you. There's this equal standing in faith. And that, let me tell you why this is important. It's because faith is not something you earn. It's not something that you have to work hard at getting. It's something the Bible, uh, the word that is used here, if you see it in verse 1, it's something that is obtained. Not obtained by work, but it's obtained by lot. You understand that concept of lot? 
we talk about your lot in life, the lot that God has given you in your life. Well, here it's talking about God and his lot has given you the lot of faith. He's given you this gift of faith in your life. And as you have this faith, it is a divine gift. Now, let's get really specific. Who gave you the gift of faith? Look again at verse 1. Keep looking back at the Bible. Verse 1. It comes by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You ever met someone who says the Bible doesn't say that Jesus is God? You ever met someone? Now, by the way, the Bible says Jesus is God in, in, in several different places, but this is one of the clearest places in the whole Bible where there's a statement that Jesus is God. There's a Greek rule going on here. I'm not even going to explain it to you, but look again what it says. Of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is referring to the same person, God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So by the saving righteousness of God, and this is a reference to Jesus, you have been given the gift of faith, equal standing. So let me put this up on the screen for you. Resources for a fruitful life. Number one, the gift of faith. I don't want to harp on this over and over again, but I'm going to. You are an equal opportunity fruit bearer because God has given you faith. He gave it to you as a gift. No one is better in here. There's no like better or lesser granting of faith. You were granted faith to believe in Jesus. You've been granted faith to step out on faith and act. As we think about fruit bearing, we think about love and joy and peace and patience and brotherly kindness and love and all these things. We also think about bearing fruit in the concept of sharing the gospel, of caring for those who are suffering. We think about fruit bearing in these different aspects of our life where we need to build into others and make disciples. No one in here who is a believer should ever outsource their faith. Faith is not something you, you outsource for the pastors or you outsource for the elders or you outsource for those who've been believers for 15 years. There's a book that's been written. It's called The Outsourced Self. It's, it's a book that's showing how we in our, in our culture, especially for those of us who have money, maybe everybody in here, as you have money, you start to outsource the details of your life. Like you, you hire a wedding planner, you hire a party planner, or you hire someone to do your laundry or someone to do your yard. You outsource a variety of responsibilities. But the book also goes into detail on how people outsource the naming of their children. They'll hire someone called a namiologist to actually choose the names for their kids so their kids don't get bullied or live, live lives not up to their potential. Like they, they'll hire someone to figure that out for them. Or um, th- there's also a, 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 someone who's out, so called a, a wantiologist, a wantologist. Like this wantologist, you can hire them, and they help you gauge your wants with what you can actually afford and to put it together. And so there's a variety of ways that you may be outsourcing your life. But listen, do not outsource your faith. Every single people, uh, person in here has this equality in faith, as great as the Apostle Peter, as great as anybody else in here, so that you can step up and live a fruitful life. If you're in here and you're not living a fruitful life, chances are you have, you've outsourced so much of what's going on and the, the fruitfulness that you should be living in. You've actually let others do it. Let others make disciples. Let others care for those who are suffering. Let others share their faith. Are you kidding me? Do you... Why are you even here? If that's the way you're going to live, that's not the Christian life. Why are you even here? Why why, why would you outsource your faith? Are you kidding me? 
you've been granted a faith to act upon, to believe in the Lord and take action steps in bearing fruit. It's, it's, it, it's something you own. It's equal standing. Don't outsource your faith, for you need to live a fruitful life. Let's keep going, all right? Let's keep going. Verse 2. May, gr- may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So salvation has come to us by the grace of Jesus, and we now have peace with God. And the greeting here is actually a prayer. Peter wants God's grace and peace to be multiplied to you. That means poured out upon you in abundance. And you go, well, how's, how's that going to happen? Well, he's specific here. It says, in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So as we get to know the Lord more through his word, by the power of his spirit, we get to engage with him more through this knowing him. He pours out more and more of his grace and his mercy upon us. And this concept of knowing the Lord is huge in Peter. And it's not just talking about head knowledge, but it's talking about a head knowledge combined with a heart knowledge. Because if you just have a head knowledge of a relationship with the Lord and knowing the Lord, chances are you're going to be kind of this frozen person. You're like just, just frozen and you're just it's all up here. But if you're like this, just this heart person and you're heart only, then you're going to fall for a lot of weird stuff. And I see a lot of gullible and crazy Christians in America because it's just they're like this and they're falling for all the time. But I see a lot of heady Christians and they're just boring and, and frozen. Like, what is your deal, man? It's supposed to be this head and this heart that's combined together. It's, it's this knowing and this relationship that we have with the Lord. We know him. We have this intimate relationship with him. And out of that is his pouring out of grace and mercy upon us. And that brings us to resource number two. The second resource for a fruitful life is the abundance of grace and peace in the knowledge of God. When God calls us to live a fruitful life, he's not just saying, go do it, man. Come on, can't you get your act together? Can't you figure this out? No, God pours out his love and his grace and his peace that impacts us internally. And as his grace and his peace impacts us, it, it makes us live a fruitful life out of joy. Think about kids. Children that have parents who love them and encourage them and support them typically respond to that by wanting to obey their parents. And as the parents continue to love and support and encourage them over the years, by God's grace, the kids will continue to want to obey and respect their parents. Now, I know some of you grew up with parents who were jerks. They did not love you. They did not show compassion upon you. And chances are you may not have obeyed them. And even for those of us who had great parents, there are times that they fail. And there are times that we as parents fail our kids. But we're talking about a relationship that we have with our father. And as we spend time with him and we get to know him more, in, in this knowledge, he pours out more and more grace and peace in our lives. And as we experience his grace more and more in our lives, we actually want to obey him. We're not creating a church where we're saying, obey just so God will love you. Now we say, God already loves you. Now obey out of the love you already have. And that may be a message you never heard growing up. Maybe you, you grew up in a church where you just had to really step up and get it done, and maybe at the end of the day, God will actually like you 
maybe love you, okay, but you got to get it done first. No, no, we're saying God already poured out his love in Christ. And as his grace and peace impact your heart, out of that comes obedience. Out of that comes a fruitful life. That's the resource. Verse 3. This is the most difficult verse. This is the most difficult one, so stick with me here. There's lots of explaining here. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Let's take it piece by piece, all right? First, it says his divine power. Who is the his? Is that the Father? Is that Jesus? Chances are it's, it's probably referring to Jesus as Jesus is mentioned at, at the very end of verses 1 and 2. And later in chapter 1, we're going to talk about the power of Jesus. But it could be the Father. But either way, we have this divine power in our lives for life and godliness. Some commentators just kind of combine the two together. Life and godliness, put them together. And they say it's, it's talking about a godly life. So get this, in the power of Jesus, he has given you everything you could possibly need for a godly life. Now, what do we mean by the power of Jesus? Are we talking about his resurrection power? Maybe. But another option is that we're talking about the power of the gospel. For example, Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And the idea here is that those who are changed by the power of the gospel will live a godly life. So as gospel power has come into our life, we live a godly life. And godliness, another word for godliness, literally it actually means good worship. So as those of us in here who have been impacted by the gospel will live a life of good worship. Worship. So what does it actually mean that says that he's given us all things for life and godliness? What, what are the all things that he's given you? Well, he's given you uh, salvation. In the salvation, he's adopted you. He's justified you. He has opened our hearts to understand his word. And he has filled us with the Holy Spirit and empowered us to live these lives of good worship and fruitful living. Now, we're connecting it to the gospel power because if you notice the rest of verse 3, look at 3 again, that this power comes to us. Notice it. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So this personal knowledge that we have of Jesus in our heads and our hearts comes to us who are called. Now, I know we have a lot of people from a lot of different theological perspectives here, and you may have different understandings of the word called. But I think what the word called is getting at here, it doesn't mean that in this, in this context that you hear the gospel invitation and then you sit back and you've got to figure out, am I going to accept Jesus? Am I not going to accept Jesus? Am I going to accept him? Am I not going to accept him? Just like you get an invitation to a wedding. Am I going to go? Am I not going to go? Now, the, the idea of called here is that you are called in the gospel in such a way that you can't refuse. It's not like you're forced. Like when you became a Christian, it's not like God forced you against your will. No, this is a calling in such a way where your will and your heart wants to respond. 
And the reason why you want to respond has to do with two concepts here. If you look at, once again, at the very end of that verse, verse 3 says that you are called and you respond because of his glory and his excellence. Now, what, what does that mean? What does it mean? It's glory and excellence. Well, glory has this concept of talking about his divine majesty. But what does that mean? You had the Apostle Peter, right? There was this instance. He was at the top of the mountain, Mount Transfiguration. We'll get that in a little bit in chapter 1. But he, he sees the glory of Christ uh, in his divinity as his face is shining as bright as light. And, and, and then he's drawn to it. And that's the idea that we're drawn to the glory of Christ. That when we hear the gospel, we understand that he is this glorious God. But he also uses this word, excellence. And that's talking about the moral goodness of Christ. That means Jesus is without sin, perfect moral character, as we see in his life and his acts in the gospel. So when people come to Jesus Christ, when you came to Jesus Christ, you were attracted to him. You probably didn't say, I came to Christ because I was attracted to his, his glory and his excellence. You don't, no one, no one talks like that, right? No, you were attracted because this is God who's here to forgive your sins. And, and you were called and compelled to come to him. And you put your faith in him. So let's put it all together. So we're people who've been attracted to the beauty of Christ in the gospel, and his power has changed us. And this brings us to resource number three. Let me put it up for you. The third resource for a fruitful life is the power of the gospel. In the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have all that we need to live a godly and fruitful life. There's once this, this pastor, you may have heard him, uh, Warren Wearsby. He explains it like this. He says, just as a normal baby is born with all the equipment he needs for life and only needs to grow, so the Christian has all that he needs for uh, a godly life and only needs to grow. You are not lacking anything, my brothers and sisters. You have been given all things for, for to live a godly life. You've been empowered by Christ to live a godly life in the gospel. You have everything you need in the power of the gospel and all that that entails to live a godly life. I want to make sure you get this, okay? You do not need to go to a conference because you're lacking something to live a godly life. You do not need to have a, a certain special experience because you're lacking something to live a godly life. You don't need to travel around the world or to relocate or to find something else out before you find that magical key to live a godly life. In the gospel, you are loved, you are adopted, you are filled with the Spirit. You have all that you need to live a godly life. I know when you get down and you get depressed and you get discouraged that sometimes you start hunting for what is that one piece that may be missing in your Christian life so that you can live a godly life. I, I, get, I go through those phases in my life where I think I'm missing some key here. Maybe I need to go and, um, and get this missing piece in my Christian life, and then once I finally get it, and then I can start living the Christian life like it's supposed to be lived. I'm telling you, you have all that you need in the gospel, the power of the gospel. God's power in Christ has given you all things. Do you believe that verse or not? 
Do you believe that you've been granted all things for life and godliness? Do you believe that? Or do you feel like you've got to travel somewhere else to get something else? And I say you don't. Give it all in Christ. Let's finish up. Verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Wow, a lot, a lot, a lot of words in there. So the glory and excellence of Christ, and through that we've been given these precious and great promises. And you're like, well, what, what are those? Tip us off a little bit, Peter, and he, he really doesn't. But we have great promises of eternal life, a great inheritance, new heavens and new earth, promise of God's presence with us. And all these promises come through uh, the, the gospel. And, and through these gospel promises, look what it says. We become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. Now, now Peter's context, this pagan, probably Gentile context, they were like, wow, that sounds kind of mystical and cool. And they wouldn't have said this, but kind of new agey. Like his, his context would have liked this. I, I spoke to a woman the week before last out on the streets. We were sharing the gospel, and I was talking to her, and she was explaining to me that we are all part of the divine presence, and all of us are divine. And she's a very gracious woman, and we talked for a long time, and just trying to really basically saying that we're all God in some sense. That's not what Peter means when he says that we are part, become partakers of the divine nature. What Peter is getting at is that believers are connected with God in some special way. And you say, well, how are we connected with God? How would you explain that? All right. You've ever heard of that terminology that Paul uses a lot about believers being in Christ? There's also some terminology in the Bible about the Holy Spirit living in us. And I think that's kind of what we're getting at here. Now, these, these, this combination of in Christ, led by the Spirit, these are possible because we're partakers of the divine nature. So what does that mean? that we are partakers. It means that in some sense, we can be like God. Now, does that mean that you can become all-knowing? No. Does that mean you can become every, be everywhere at once? No. But there is some way, now that you're a believer in Christ, that you can be like God. And like, are you serious? Yes, I'm very serious. And what I'm talking about, you can be like God in this aspect of moral character and holiness. And how do we know that Peter is getting at that? Look at the very last phrase. The very last phrase says, escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You know, one day we're going to be free from this body completely and evil desires completely. But right now, because we become partakers of the divine nature, we are filled with the spirit. We are in Christ right now in some aspect. We can escape from sinful lust and sinful desires and actually say no to sin. And one of the ways that spurs on the saying no to sin, this partaking in the divine nature, is all centered around the promises of God. The promises of God spur on holiness. Let me give you the last resource. Last resource. The precious and great promises of God. In God's word, He's given you tons of promises. He didn't have to. 
he could just say, hey, figure it out. Just obey. And said grace and mercy and just left it that. But he's given us promises. And did you know that there are promises in the Bible that we are actually meant to believe and act upon? And these promises are to spur us on. And so something I, I, I wonder is that do we notice the promises of God? Do we even care about the promises of God? And if we do, what are we supposed to do with them? Well, someone suggested uh, recently that what we should do is every day pick one or two promises from God's Word, keep it in our mind and our hearts that day, and actually live as if it's true, because it is. Act upon it. So, for example, I want to share a promise with you in keeping in line with this living a fruitful life. It comes from 1 Corinthians 10.13. Here's a promise from God. 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There may be a temptation in your life right now where you think probably two things. One, no one has ever experienced this before. I am the only one who's ever felt this way. No, no. It's a common temptation. Chances are, no. There's nothing unique about your temptation. We all have this common, maybe we don't have the same issue, but temptation in general is very common. The second thing is God will always provide a way out. Do you believe that? It's a promise that he will always provide a way out so that you can endure and push through the temptation and not give in to sin. How about that for a promise? How about carrying that around with you throughout the day as you're facing temptation? Let's know that God is with me. He will provide a way out. Now, brothers and sisters, the Christian life is difficult. It is hard, and we shall say it is impossible to live. But we have been given resources. And we, we haven't even talked about the fruitful life. We're going to talk about that next week, but we can't even get there until you understand that you have all that you need. You, you have faith. Grace and peace can be multiplied in your life through knowing, knowing God. The power of the gospel in Christ is in your life. The great promises of God. We have all that we need to live a godly life. This past Thursday night, on the spur of the moment, I took my family to downtown Chicago. I'm not much of a spur of the moment guy. I like to plan everything. But I went downtown to the Apple Store. And at the Apple Store in downtown Chicago, perhaps you've seen it, one of my favorite artists was uh, giving an interview there. His name is Lecrae. He's He's not in the sense a Christian rapper. He's a Christian who raps, as he likes to say. But he was being interviewed. And, of course, he did some music and stuff. But it's kind of it was weird being in the Apple store doing a little mini concert. But he, anyway, he was being interviewed. And while he's being interviewed, the interviewer is asking him questions about Kanye West and Lil Wayne and all these different artists that, are, that show up, you know, and, and maybe some of the circles he runs in. And they're asking him all these questions about, just, just how do you deal with that? How do you go to the Grammys? I mean, just all these other things. And then, then the audience got to ask him questions as well. And the audience was, was really serious, like, 
how are you still a Christian? And, and you can see the audience is really, the audience, I mean, there are some saved people there. My, my wife and I saw this woman, and we were like, we're trying to process the shirt she had on. Her shirt said, ex-lesbian. Like, what? Should you wear that? <laughs> and it's, it, she's, she's like, ask me about this. Like, people hardcore, coming out of hardcore sin. And, and they're asking Lecrae, how do you still live a holy life in the midst of this crazy context you're in? And, 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 and you know what? Lecrae's just like us. He's, he's like, we all have these struggles. We have all these temptations to give into daily on a daily basis. We're fighting sin the same way he is. And he may have some extra bonus temptations, but he's just like us. He's got the resources. We got the resources to live a fruitful and godly life. We can really bear fruit, not because we're something awesome, because Christ and his work in our hearts and our lives, he's created us in him to bear fruit. And that's what we want to be. We want to be people who engage the resources and bear fruit. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that there, the Bible says that we used to live in, in such sin. Many of us were the immoral, the greedy. You've redeemed us out of so many diverse backgrounds. And we cannot believe that we're saved by your grace. It is wonderful. We praise you. But Jesus, just impress upon us that you've called us to now live a holy life where we bear fruit. And help us to know that there are resources there for fruitful living. And I pray for the man in here, the man in here right now who is stuck in a struggle. He feels as if he will never get out. I ask you to show them there is freedom in you. There is power in your gospel. And I pray for the woman in here who may feel the same thing, that she is stuck, that there is no way out of this mess she has made. May you show her there is power in the gospel and your grace and your mercy to be free. Just work upon our hearts this morning. Make us worshipers who are just blown away by your grace and your peace and your mercy and make us fruitful for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.